Welcome to Closer to Venus. I'm Johnny Burke, and today's guest is Vicki Quirk. She is an intuitive coach, breathwork teacher, and near-death experience survivor. Today, we will be talking about how she utilizes the Akashic Records to help people heal their past, embrace the present, and move forward to their future. Vicki, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me, Johnny. I'm excited to be here. So how did you discover when you had intuitive or what people call psychic gifts? I can think back to childhood and having a lot of deja vu. That's kind of my first recollection of something being different. But my mom also had deja vu, so it didn't feel all that different. Then as I got older, I would just kind of know things before they happened. And I'm like, I don't know where this is coming from. It didn't really become clear until like my late 20s. And I was living with my then boyfriend, now husband. And I started seeing things in our apartment. And I was like, I don't know what is going on. And then I got really lucky. I was talking to the receptionist at my acupuncture place. We got to talking about all this stuff and all this work that she was doing. And I was like, oh, let me ask you something. So I started to describe it to her. And she was like, oh, girl, you've got some gifts that you are not using. And I was like, what are you talking about? And so her and I talked about it. Everything she said was like, yes, that makes sense. Yes, that makes sense. I then started to explore what does it mean to be intuitive? What does it mean to be psychic in any way? And started to look into books. And then she put me on to a teacher who I eventually studied with for a number of years. And then I was like, oh, if I tap into this, if I use it, my life is easier, right? And I'm not seeing weird stuff all over the place at night while I'm sleeping. I'm able to like manage this. And it was crazy to see how my anxiety subsided, how a lot of things just became more easy for me when I started to embrace that I could feel energies outside of myself. I could also take them into myself and needed to work on that. So it was kind of a serendipitous situation where who expects to be talking to the receptionist at the acupuncture place and have her say to you, hey, by the way, you're gifted. (laughs) Actually, that's a really good point because many people get confirmation of these Mm -hmm. intuitive gifts at could be a number of modalities. The Reiki healer experience seems to be an entry point for a lot of people to become aware of the intuitive gifts. Totally. Because I think that's, it's a modality that feels very safe and comfortable and that is more well known now than a lot of other modalities are. And that was one of my first explorations also too, is after I had that whole revelation in the acupuncture office was then I pursued receiving Reiki and later got my own attunements to become a Reiki practitioner. It's an easy access point, but I think it's a very profound access point where big things can happen, even though it seems rather simple and it feels safe to most people, it can be a super profound experience in it. And I think a lot of people are not expecting something like that to happen. They're not expecting to have an awakening or waking up or whatever you want to call it. So back to your intuitive abilities. You first got a glimmer of that when you were young, but you didn't really get full confirmation until you're in your 20s. Yeah. You also mentioned deja vu. Were these images, did this happen in dreams or was it a spontaneous? Oh, it was typically a dream that I would have. Then I would experience the exact same event a couple days later. And I was like, wait, did I dream that? Or did I do this twice in my later 
like teen years, it became much more prevalent that that was happening. And I would sometimes be confused in class because I'm like, why do I already know the answer to this? I had dreamed it. And it was just this kind of trippy experience. And my mom had mentioned having deja vu, but it wasn't necessarily a conversation we really dived deep into. It didn't really start to click for me as that being a part of my gifts until I was in my 20s and actually right when my dad passed away. He had cancer twice. Second time around, he went terminal and he was in the hospital over the weekend. And the second the phone rang, I had this flash to a dream I had had about a year before of the phone ringing, us being called to the hospital and on the way to the hospital in the dream. And in reality, I had the thought of my dad just died. And when we got there, he had passed. Boy, it was that was like the most pure confirmation I ever could have gotten because it was the exact same situation playing out. Would that be an example of a premonition? Yes. Yes. I see it as that. That one feels more premonition and other events that I've had happen feel more like a premonition while others are deja vu. Others are like, oh, I've seen this somewhere. Oh, in my dreams or a similar situation. I used to teach Pilates for 10 years. So when you do something all day long for hours a day, it's easy to dream about it and process it. That piece was really interesting for me because there'd be times I was teaching a client and I'm like, wait, did I teach them the left side of this exercise in my dream? Or did I teach it to them just now and have to really kind of like navigate it? But that felt more deja vu. That was less about it being I saw something coming and more about somehow I knew that day I was going to teach those exercises. It was, it feels less dramatic. Deja vu. Would that be like dreaming about a place that you know you've seen before, but you've never, Vicky's never really been there. Have you had experiences like that? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, this house that we're currently living in, I had that same experience. <laughs> it's been interesting for me that so much of what's happened for me has been the times of difficulties, of times of trauma, which is, that's kind of standard, I think, because the veil is thin. And when you're not in your body, you can pick up on a lot more things. I think it was more of me stepping into myself as a person, particularly my late 20s. My guides were like, hey, it's time for you to embrace these things. It's time for you to utilize these for yourself and to share these gifts with others. That was almost like a coming home moment for me to start to say like, oh, I can have this stuff happen and at that point in my late 20s, I had a couple teachers I was working with. I wasn't alone in it. Because I think the other thing is people have these things happen and they feel very alone in it because we're not living in a society where it's typical. My kids are growing up with it more than I did. It's not typical for parents to say, hey, if you ever feel these things or you have a sense of knowing or you hear things that you don't see in the room with you, that's okay. Those are psychic gifts. That's not a conversation anybody's having. Not really. That's almost like if you're sitting around the dinner table, you can say, great, what past life memories do you have? Jimmy, or hey, did you have an awakening experience? You're right. We don't really have those kind of discussions. They're not really commonplace. You had just mentioned guides. I imagine that is a reference to spirit guides, right? Yes. What was your first experience with your guide or your guides? And how did that happen? What did they look like? And did you even know their names? 
That's been an interesting experience for me. So my primary psychic skill is claircognizance. So I just know things. So when people will ask me, oh, what do my guides look like? Good question. I don't necessarily know what they look like. I don't have that clear visual of them, but I know what they're like in their energy or what they feel like to me. Sometimes there will be a face or something that I know. It was in my early 20s. I was about to go on a date with a guy and I got this very male voice in my head that said, this is not a good idea. Turned out it wasn't a good idea and I should have listened. But (laughs) back then I didn't know, right? But it was like, whoa, what was that? And that's happened to me a couple of times where there'll be this knowing that I'm hearing a voice. I have had really cool, very clear visuals of who my guides are in readings with other practitioners. I have one practitioner in particular I work with all the time and also in my breathwork sessions. So when I practice breathwork, I'll get sometimes this really clear visual and they'll like float above my face while I'm breathing. And I'm like, oh, this is a Native American guide or oh, this is a nomadic witch from a past life who's my guide. And it's more of the knowing that they're there and that feeling of somebody is with me. And it varies. My guides have changed over the years and over my commitment to my work and and how things have gone, it's changed where sometimes I feel more angelic presence, which feels really soft and easy and very soft spoken. I have one guide, she always speaks to me in this very like direct way where she's just kind of like, get it together, girl. Like, what are you doing? I can always tell when I'm veering off course, because that guide will appear in my writing. If I'm journaling, if I'm doing breath work, if I'm about to start a session with a client, a guide will appear to me in some way. Usually I will hear them say like, hey, there's gonna be some messages in this session that are also for you because you haven't been listening. (laughs) Mine are pretty direct. (laughs) I'm gonna reference something which happened in another episode where this woman was about to end her earthly existence. And as she walked into the kitchen to the drawer, she heard a voice saying, sit down. She looked around, obviously there wasn't anyone else in the room and she kept walking and in a very loud voice, that voice said, sit down. I'm not going to go into the whole episode there, but my question is, is that more of a clairaudient moment or is that more of a claircognizant or is it a mixture of the two? I think it can be a mix. I think it depends on how she experienced it. The way I always explain it to people is that I know I'm hearing something, but I don't necessarily hear it. Like right now I can hear like the heater in this room making noise. I don't hear it that way. It's more like I know I'm hearing something, but some people do with Claire audience hear it in the room, like outside of themselves. For me, it's more of a voice in my head that I know isn't mine. It doesn't sound like mine. It doesn't feel like mine. It's not my thoughts. The intonation can be different. Like there could be an accent. My guides come through pretty authentically in whatever their background is in that way. Claire audience and clairvoyance were two skills I wanted to develop a bit more. And what I've worked on in my like 10-ish years of doing this, I've worked to develop some other skills because I do think there's value in you honoring your primary skills and value in exploring other skills that you have as well too. So you can have a more rounded experience and get more out of your communication. Sometimes you're going to see something that's a sign 
that's maybe a passing little light or a little blip or a little something. And it's like, wait, what was that? So you want to have your eye and your third eye all attuned to seeing all the things. You want to be able to hear what's not being said in addition to what is being said. So it's kind of more of a rounded experience of being gifted. Can we assume that all of us have spirit guides? Because I've heard that quite a bit. Yes. I believe we all do. I think... What I find when I work with clients and we're in a session, it depends on how receptive we are to that idea that there's some things, some beings outside of ourselves that are there to help us, that are there to guide us. I've had distinct situations in my life where I've shut that channel down. Do I still feel, if I look back and reflect on those times, do I still feel like I've been pushed and kind of directed in a variety of ways and have gotten where I needed to be anyway, despite myself. Yes. And when I look at that, do I know that comes from like my spiritual team, which to me also includes loved ones who've passed away, past life versions of myself, myself in alternate dimensions, all of that is there for me. I don't believe guides ever give up on a person, but I do believe they try to find other ways if someone's not receptive to it coming to them in a divine way in an energetic way, I think they put people in their life to say like, hey, here's what you should be doing, or here's where you should be going, right? I think they find other ways. I've heard this quite a few times that our spirit guides can be our family that has passed on. Mm -hmm. And I've also talked to a number of people who have said, your spirit guides changed throughout your life, depending on where you are and where you need to go and what you need to learn. That seems to be a common entry point for a lot of people to discover their intuitive gifts. Is it not? Yeah. And I think- It seems like it. If we're paying attention to major things in our life and we're spiritually tapped in at all, we might notice that we've had one guide consistently or a couple guides consistently, or we'll notice a change. When I think about it, I think I had a complete guide turnover to new guides when I had my near-death experience, which was during the birth of my older son. There was so much for me in that whole experience where I totally backed out of all the work I had been doing. I refused, and my friend and colleague and my trusted spiritual partner in in all things that we talk about today, Andrea Mitchell, she could tell you I was very resistant to the idea of tapping back into any energy. I was very angry that I went into my older son's birth not knowing that I was going to have a near-death experience, that I was going to almost die. That anger sat with me for so long. And it took me a long time. And it came to a point where I finally said to her, okay, you can do a reading for me. My guides came through saying that they did not know that was going to happen. They did not. They did not. That also then set me on edge because I was like, wait a minute, you're supposed to know all the things. And they're like, we know a lot of things. We can know many things. We can know many versions of things. But humans also have free will. And there was choices that were made during your birthing process that led to this thing happening. You didn't have in your soul's blueprint. And at that point, my soul that I was born with exited my body and I had a soul walk-in happen, which I didn't know any of this at the time. This all became known to me in processes literally years after the fact. But that was a moment where 
I tried for almost a year to shut down any intuitive hits I was getting, any psychic information. And I did a pretty good job of it, but not completely. My guides weren't going to let me go that easy. But when that soul walk-in happened and I finally came to terms with my guides didn't know they couldn't have warned me, that whole team of spiritual guides that I had, I felt change within the next couple months after that. And I had a new set of guides appear that I think were more in alignment with the soul I have now and also more in alignment with where I was and could be kind of a fresh set of spiritual eyes and ears and support for me that I wasn't so angry at. So that's the first time I've heard the term soul walk-in, but I also think it ties into something you mentioned earlier, which is, I think, pre-birth planning, which means you have a blueprint, you are in that in-between space that Dr. Michael Newton obviously wrote about, and you pick your mom, you pick your dad, and the boyfriend that's going to break your heart and all that good stuff. And then you come back down here and you forget about it. But then you have in your death experience, which apparently your guides did not know about, but it's because basically you had one soul go away and a soul walk in. It's almost like a musician saying, I don't like that plug-in, so we're going to use this one. That's a better whatever. Maybe that's a crude analogy, but it it sounds like it's almost like a transplant. Yes. In a way. And so when a soul walk-in happens, there's some reason that the soul that the person was born with is going to leave. Or sometimes two souls will inhabit a body together. And this can happen for a variety of reasons. What I've learned in my studying of this over the last couple of years and just my own experience of it is oftentimes a soul believes they have met their purpose or surpassed their purpose for their incarnation in that lifetime and they're ready to move on. I believe in what I've gathered in my own diving into my own stuff around this is that my soul was like, I'm tired. This has been a really hard lifetime. There's been a lot of trauma. There's been a lot of stuff. I've done a lot of work. I've changed in a lot of ways. I've grown in a lot of ways, but I'm ready. I can't be here. And this body is failing. So if this body wants to continue on, I'm willing to turn it over to another soul that's willing to incarnate into an established body versus coming into a newborn. The example I just gave you a few minutes ago about a woman planning her suicide was warned by spirit or guides or whoever that was. I don't really know, but the spirit basically told her, if you go through it, this, we're going to bring you right back to the same type of situation in another lifetime. Could that be that person, her soul is going to walk into someone else's body in the same situation. Does that make sense? Yes, it does make sense. In that case, I could see it happening where her soul is like, okay, I'm out and returns to the spirit realm and maybe hangs out in the spirit realm for a while or then incarnates into somebody else. But another soul could step in and she survives that attempt of suicide. If she dies from that attempt of suicide, she might come back. Her soul wouldn't have necessarily walked out for another one to walk in. Her soul could return to the spirit realm and then get reincarnated into another person with all the same lessons and experiences. They're going to vary. They might be a different flavor of those things, but that can happen. That's part of when we look at what our repeated patterns are in a lifetime, the things we consistently do. I always look at it from two perspectives, like what was going on for you in your upbringing that that maybe developed as a coping skill? 
And what's happened for you in past lives? What lessons were there for you in other lifetimes that maybe you didn't fully learn or you didn't fully inhabit the teachings of? So now you're here to give it another go and you have different resources in each lifetime. Is this the lifetime where you have the resources that you need to learn these lessons so that these lessons no longer appear for you in future lifetimes. Can you tell us what you have learned from your past lives? And do you recognize anyone you know today from one of your past lives? Yes. Past lives have been interesting. I didn't know anything about past lives until I had started working with my teacher, Vanessa Cadorniu, on intuitive work. And then she was doing some hypnosis work with me privately. And we got to talk about past lives. That's how I got introduced to the Akashic Records was through my own hypnosis sessions with her. And so it was very interesting for me because I believe in therapy, it's valuable, but I also believe in bringing in these spiritual components because what would happen when I would explore my past lives, either in a full past life regression session of hypnosis or through an Akashic Record reading, I was like, wait a second, I've done all this before. This is a pattern for me. Or some stuff was just this lifetime, but I have these other past lives that can feed me information about how to work with this. One of the first past lives that ever came up was between me and my husband. We were sisters in Russia in a past life, and it was a terribly difficult past life. We had a lot of trials and tribulations. We had a lot of challenges. And then when I looked at our relationship at that point, we weren't going through the same thing. We weren't sisters again, but we were having a lot of trials and tribulations and we kept coming back to each other, which was the same thing that happened in that past life. I have past lives with my mom, with my sister. I'll have clients who sometimes I have past lives with, which is always trippy. (laughs) So it's easily recognizable for you. I've always asked, just out of curiosity, How many of the people in my current life are most likely someone I knew in a past life? And the the consensus is almost everyone. Would you agree or not? I think it depends on the degree to which they were significant in our past lives as to how they may show up in present life. So I think we can encounter a lot of people in our life, people randomly that we bump into at the grocery store kind of thing, who we've had lifetimes with before, but that doesn't make them significant. I also find it interesting when I do readings for people in the same family, past lives will come up between certain family members that only come up in one person's reading, not both people's readings, because that past life was only significant to that person. So I do think we're encountering people all the time. I figured this out when people used to say to me, you look so familiar. I swear I know you from somewhere. And if I tap in in that moment, yeah, I have a past life with them, but it's not significant in this lifetime. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to me. It might be more significant to them. One of the things I think we can take away from this, because you've mentioned pretty much the gamut, past lives, Kashuk records, pre-birth planning, soul guides, you know, spirit guides rather. Is it a no-brainer for you that basically our consciousness, our souls, we don't die. Our physical bodies obviously expire, but we keep coming back. For the people that don't believe and are very skeptical, what would you tell them about this when they ask, how do you know this person isn't just making this up to get attention or to sell a book on Amazon? It's hard because I think it's different for each person. I've dived deep enough into all of this and I've had too many things happen that 
make sense to what I've been told when I read for myself or when someone else reads for me. There's just too much in my body that says, yes, this has happened. There's too much there. I can't deny that. When I work with other people, and I do get on the rare occasion, it's usually a loved one or a friend has referred someone to me for a reading, and they are very skeptical. I'll say to them, you don't have to do this if you don't want to. Some of it can be fear of what they're going to find out and what they're going to feel compelled to or feel like they have to do with the information they receive. And so when I have those readings where someone's like, no, I'll do it, I'll do it, but they're resistant, I'll usually ask their guides, give me something that they can connect with safely, that feels comfortable for them, that feels like they've already know this and I'm just confirming it for them. And guides will usually share something from a loved one who's passed, that there's no way I could have known it because they didn't tell me anything about it, except that I got it from their guides. And then I can start to build that trust and that rapport. And then people start to make their own connections, which is the most beautiful thing in a session to see, is to see the person say, this is connected to this, and this is connected to that. Then they start to open up to the idea of a past life. I find it easiest in that supportive and safe space to have that conversation. When I'm out kind of about in the world, Most people will ask what I do and I'll say, I'm an intuitive coach. And they're like, what does that mean? And I'll get to talking about it. And then I see people glaze over. That's okay. I don't push it. But if people are curious and they ask about it, I'll say, tell me some things that have happened in your life that feel like you've done them before, but you hadn't really. And that's when they can start to really connect to, they're like, yeah, I got drawn to playing the violin, but it makes no sense. No one in my family is musical. No one I know even knew what a violin really was besides like some squeaky string instrument. But if I ask them, do you feel like you've done this before? They say, yes, I feel like I've done this a thousand times. It doesn't make any sense. It's because they did it in a past life and their soul is like, hey, this is good for you. Do that again. Let me draw you into that. Let me get you to something that's going to help you. Let's talk about your practice. So with the Akashic Records and past lives and maybe even the in-between space where we make our blueprint, how do these things manifest in your work with your clients? My work has evolved quite a bit. When I first started out, I was kind of just doing straight Akashic Record readings. I had like a whole protocol I went through and I was just looking at that. But what I started to realize as I worked with a variety of people and dive deeper into the work myself was to me, the Akashic Records are the library of everything that's ever happened in the universe, everything that's happened in multiple dimensions, anything that can happen in the future. Each one of us has our own reference book that we can pull out that's going to have that information. And the librarians are the Akashic record keepers. They're the ones who hold our information. If we can use that, we should call in all the other things that we can use too, because they're already in the Akashic records. We should call on loved ones who've passed away. So I will call on loved ones who've passed away and ask them to be part of a session if they want to be, if they have something to share. I ask for guides who are in animal form, guides who are of a divine nature, but not necessarily one that we have a name for, angels. I call everybody to the party. That's that's what I tell clients. I want everyone to come to the party and we'll see what everyone has to share. So when I go into a session with someone, yes, I'm opening their Akashic record with their permission because that is sacred information. And then I'm calling in all these other components as well. 
I do energy work within them. We can release energetic blocks, which will then release over time and space. So that's what's cool. If you're in your Akashic record, you're healing something present day. You're healing it in your record, which means you're also healing it in past lives that are available to that. And you're healing it seven generations from in present life backwards and seven generations forwards. So you can do a lot of things in there that have this reverberating effect where it stretches outward beyond anything we can imagine. How were you drawn to pursue understanding the Akashic records? And also, you mentioned something about healing something in the past. Does that change the past life data point? Or does that reverberate forward and have an effect on the present and the future? So my draw to it came from my teacher, Vanessa. When I worked with her, it just made so much sense to me. And it started to fill in gaps and blanks that I couldn't fill in with therapy. So it was like the work that I was doing on myself, I would kind of stall out on some things. But as I started to explore my own past lives, I was like, wait, I didn't resolve this in that past life. So that energy, there's like this cord or tube where I kind of think of it like a little hamster's house with all those little tubes that run around. So we're like in the base in our present life of that tube. And we can have energy running back and forth between past lives. So I'm like, oh, I didn't resolve this back then. So if I energetically work on it, what was the story of that past life? What was happening then? What does that past life version of me need to hear or have happen in order for him or her to feel complete so I can stop having that flow of energy back and forth. So if I work on it that way, this is amazing. Then my present life also changes. So we can get all that information about the past life. We can always access that story. We can always access the lessons and the woundings and all of that of that time, but we don't need it affecting us in the present. So we can heal it to the best that we can now, past lives, sometimes those versions of ourselves do not want to have something healed. They are stuck in that. If that's the case that comes up for myself or somebody else, we work to then seal off that connection to the past life that's bringing energy into present that's affecting present. And we can still access all that information, but we don't have that feeding of energy coming through. We can leave that past life where it is. But we are also then able to heal and change what comes going forward. People always get caught up in the idea that if you've healed something, that means you're done. You never see it again. That's not my belief. My belief is if you're healing something, it's pretty much always active. It's how you respond to it each time it appears. Or there can be some things that you heal that you don't see again, that you're just complete with because you've had lifetimes of it or you did it really big in this lifetime. So for me, it can work to go backwards and forwards from what's presently presenting. So that was the draw for me in the Akashic Records is I can use this to help my present and then in turn heal past and then in turn lay the foundation for something different to happen in the future. From a practitioner's standpoint, how would the path for becoming a past life regression therapist or an Akashic Records reader be different? Why would they take one path versus another? That's an excellent question. And that's one that I get asked more than I ever thought I would. The Akashic Records is not a past life regression. So if you're doing a past life regression, you're actually in hypnosis, typically going back in to that past life and you're experiencing that past life as it's happening. 
whatever past life you get drawn into, you're experiencing that. When you have an Akashic Record reading, someone's telling you, and you may have recollections while you're in a session, but someone's telling you what's happening in that past life or the key points of it. So there's a difference between experiencing it or being told about it. I've had both. I prefer to be told about it because when I experience it, I get kind of stuck in oh, I should have did this or I should have did that. And what if I tried it this way? But that's not really what the regression is for. It's not to go back and try to redo it. It's to go back and see what was there to heal it. It gives me to know the story versus relive the story. And I think practitioners will choose what fits them best or what they feel is most effective. I've found both to be effective for me, but I don't feel drawn to help people go back into those past lives. I think there can be traumatic events there that sometimes we're not prepared for that we can feel re-traumatized by that regression. Now, if you have a good therapist who's done all the things they need to do, they will process that with you and get you through that. I have a degree in social work, so this is also a more appropriate avenue for me to work with the Akashic Records this way. I am trauma-informed and have trauma training, but I also know where my limit is and will properly refer someone out if there's trauma that's coming up that needs to be processed. Okay. There are both realistic methods or modalities for learning about our past and possibly healing them. It's just a matter of preference. They're both valid. Yeah. And I've had clients who've done both and like myself have found benefits in both modalities. I think you can use both. I know a couple of really great past life regression therapists. That's all they do. And it's awesome. Who see me for Akashic Record readings. (laughs) And I see them for past life regression. So I think you can do both. There's no hindrance there at all. It's totally available and what you feel best with. That's a good thing to remember, because I think some people might think, should I do one and not the other? Might there be a conflict? So what are the biggest takeaways you feel that listeners need to know about your work and also how this has changed some of your views, your experiences? Wow. So that's a big question. My focus is always with my work on meeting the person where they are in their life right now and helping them to unravel what's already happened so that they can comfortably stand in their power to move forward. It's important that I build the trust and rapport with the person I'm working with, but also that I teach them some skills so that they can tap into whatever they define for themselves as their spiritual team, the universe, God, whatever it is for them that I can help to teach them some skills to do that so that they can build the trust in their self, in their intuition, and in their relationship to source, spirit, God, their guides. So that to me is the most important part. And I think that's been my process, which is why I work so hard on helping other people with it. My process has been learning to trust myself, learning to trust that what I see and hear and know is truth, even if other people don't see it that way. I think that's true if we're talking about something spiritual or just something we've experienced in our life. This work has allowed me to grow beyond the human experience to see where I am a soul having a human experience, which is kind of cliche to say. I feel like everybody says that these days. But for me, it's also been that evolution of I'm choosing to be here right now in this body, I should make the most of this human experience and I can access this other information 
that helps me to be in this human experience. It doesn't have to be one or the other. We don't have to be fixated on where's my soul going next. We got to be where we are and work on these things because otherwise our soul's just going to do it again. So why not work on it and have a different experience next time around? Very good point. Vicki, thanks so much for joining us today. Excellent, excellent information. How could our listeners learn more about you online? My website, which is VickiCork.com. It's V-I-K-I-Q-U-I-R-K.com. And I'm on Instagram. That is Vicki, V-I-K-I underscore Quirk, Q-U-I-R-K. Excellent. I will put that in the show notes and the transcript as well. You've been listening to Closer to Venus. I'm Johnny Burke. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider subscribing. You can also leave us a review on iTunes as well. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.